The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So we come to the last of the talks that are titled um, Ready Ready to Change. It could also be titled Ready for Change. But I think that um, first we want to think about re- for ourselves, ready to be, to be ready to change, ready to um, be changed for the better. And as we, that happens to us, then we're more ready for change in the world. We're able to receive and be part of that change without unhealthy resistance and unhealthy fear and projections and desires and despair and, and um, you know, the, the all kinds of things that contribute to our, our sense of discomfort in this world. They contribute to a deep distrust in this world. That the things ha- have to be different. Things shouldn't be this way. And um, maybe trusting anger, trusting greed, trusting fear, trusting mistrust. So the Buddha, when he was teaching, <clears throat> was orienting his teachings towards um, cultivating these really wholesome states of mind in people. So they'd be ready to hear profound teachings that could liberate them. The language of it was that it opened their Dharma eye, that they would see in a new way. And that's a powerful teaching, the idea that we're not looking for a new experience, like a better experience. We're looking to see our experience in a new way that's liberating. And um, some people are so focused on change, making some change, fixing something, solving something, but rather to open and see it in a new way. So, um, if um, so, the Buddha would be giving these talks that would inspire people, and in that inspiration, uh, he would uh, their minds would become receptive, ready to hear something deep. Their minds would become malleable and soft their resistance, for example, and their stubbornness and their, um, you know, laziness and their greed and whatever it was would soften, would, would settle and they'd be really right there. And so there's kind of softness and willingness to hear and take it in and uh, kind of lower their guard in a healthy way, appropriate way perhaps. And then their minds would be free of hindrances. For the time they're giving those talks, they'd be so connected to it that they wouldn't be caught up in greed and anger and delusion. They would be inspired. And they would, the last thing that would happen, uh, pasana was the Pali word. And uh, this is a wonderful word that we don't have a particular meaning in English for it. And uh, the, the different meanings of it uh, that we can make out of it uh, is a range that we have diff- very different English words for it. And so the I think the delightful task is to consider how they all are one thing. That somehow in that ancient Indian world, 
they saw this as this kind of like made its own thing. Maybe like they had a different emotion um, than we have because they divide up the human experience in a different way or hold it together in a different way than we do in English. So you have to use your imagination a little bit to hold these different meanings together into one. Maybe you'll come up with a, you know, I've been thinking about an English word that might hold them all, but so far haven't. Maybe some of you will. Um, or maybe in a non-English language. So the, um, um, the first uh, meaning is clear or bright. So luminosity, a clarity. Like the, you turn on the light and there's this wonderful clarity. The fog has, the smog has cleared and it's clear. And it's, there's a brightness and clarity to the mind, to the heart. The second meaning is that uh, it's a heart that is happy, uh, has uh, just delighted and happy. And the third meaning is that it's a mind that has trust in it that uh, is reconciled with all things, that is um, uh, pleased or satisfied with what's here, here. But the word trust is one that people often fall fall on, or confidence. So clarity, happiness, and trust. Is there a single English word that captures all three of those? Or can you somehow fold them in to somehow recognize maybe all of them. I mean, they are, you know, in a sense, if we have different qualities at the same time, are they different qualities or is there a gestalt, a whole that they're part of in the present? So this idea of receptivity, readiness, softness, malleability, free of hindrances, inspired, elated, um, clear, happy, trusting, and for now, I'll settle on the word trust. And um, it's a fascinating kind of concept to, or state, to kind of orient to, to ourselves, kind of the exercise of, uh, what is my mind doing right now? Does it express some kind of trust or mistrust? If it's trust, what am I trusting? Am I trusting anger? Am I trusting fear? Am I trusting mistrust? Where do I put my trust? In a sense, whatever the mind is doing most, there is a kind of trust there. And sometimes what we're trusting is not healthy for us. To trust something healthy, to trust the wholesome, not the unwholesome. To trust, trust more than mistrust. To trust really being here. Um, find, and what does that do for us? To settle us, relax us, a confidence, a faith, something about really being here. So the Buddha prepared people with a mind like that, and then he would offer his deepest teachings, and it would open people's dharma eye. And it's said that when people's dharma eye opened, they would uh, exclaim, uh, they would say a particular thing, they would uh, say, uh, whatever, and it might not seem very interesting or very profound, just hearing it, but it's really a significant, uh, you know, this, is, this comes with an experience of awakening. So it's, it's not to be treated lightly and dismissed because it sounds like that's not much. Uh, he, the Buddha would, the people would say, oh, 
whatever has the nature of arising has the nature of seizing, ending. They would see something, the Dharma eye would show them something very profound about the comings and goings, the arising and passing of phenomena. And, that, and what's it possible when we see that, what's possible is to see how much the mind doesn't allow us to stay and be there because we glom on, we grab, we hold on, we have thoughts. And so when the Buddha was very specific when he gave his profound teaching, he was saying that suffering has a nature of arising and passing. And to understand that, we have to understand that it's the experience of suffering. So if we've had a profound loss, the loss is not coming and going, it's, it's, it's permanent now. Or if we have some kind of permanent medical condition that debilitates us, um, that's there, you know, that's not gonna change. What do we mean right, coming and going? It's the psychological experience of suffering that if how we relate to that has a nature of coming and going. It's not permanent, it's not solid, it's not... And if we trust the present moment enough, trust us being present for the river of comings and goings, we discover that place where all our psychological suffering belongs to that river, belongs to the comings and goings of phenomena. And when we see that, when we wake up to that, then we realize it's possible to let it just be the river of change. It, we don't have to cling to it and hold on to it. Whatever has a nature to appear has a nature of disappearing. Let's allow it to come and go. Let's not stop the disappearing. Let's not lob onto it, cotton it. Let's not think about it in such a way that it becomes kind of continuous. Just let the thoughts arise and go. It's like someone might protest and say, what do you mean my body is not coming and going, my body is just here. The body is constantly coming and going. The experience of it, the psychological experience of the body, the thoughts, the concepts, the feelings, sensations, the body doesn't come and go, but it's a gen general thing. When we're into the direct experience is what we're talking about here. That's where the Dharma eye opens to the direct experience here and now. And here, our suffering comes and goes, psychological suffering. So this idea of, you know, the Buddha has of teaching people to cre create the context of a heart and mind that's ready for teaching is not to kind of be Pollyannish about life and to just make it all kind of nice and sweet. It's really to prepare us for the existential difficulties of this life of ours, the places of suffering and stress and challenges that we have. And what a wonderful thing, what a wonderful thing to cultivate the wholesome, to cultivate these wonderful capacities of our mind for wholesome states, not to be blind to what's going on in this world, but to be able to see it and be present for, present for it in a way that uh, 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 we are able to bring the best of ourselves out. We're able to stay awake and present and non-reactive so that the best of us can meet and respond to the world. And I hope that this practice we've done over this last year, that uh, it really does make us uh, 
better able to contribute to the welfare and happiness of this world. May we really do this practice not only for our own sake, but even more than for our own sake. Let's do it for the sake of the world. After all, um, as we settle and have this open attention, this ability to be free and aware, that in that openness and awareness, maybe it doesn't matter so much. You, yourself, and me, myself, and mine. What's important is what that awareness meets and encounters and how we care for it. May we care for this world and let's care for it better because we've gotten to the bottom of our suffering and learn not to cling to anything. So thank you all for this year, for this week, for this day. And uh, very glad to have shared with you this time and this teaching and this practice. And I certainly look forward to uh, doing it again, starting in the future, in the far future, next year, 2023. So when that time comes, then um, I look forward to being with you the f- next Monday. Thank you.